Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We are really appreciating you clicking in and joining us. Uh, We believe that we have the sound issue licked, but let us know through chat. Uh, or through yeah through the chat if you're signed into chat, uh, let us know how the sound is uh, and we will adjust accordingly. We think we figured it out, and hopefully you don't have to listen to a bunch of chop. So to, the title of today's sermon is "Saved Not Only As I Say, but Also As I Do." Ooh, confusing. Thank you for joining us, though. It's going to be fun. Listen, if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, come visit our Kehala. You know, I get to speak all over the country, but this congregation is indeed my favorite. I'm going to talk about the congregation in my Monday show tomorrow, so be sure to join us. <clears throat> so what you do, how this works, is you you come at 5 o'clock on Sunday here at our Kehala, and you get to eat really good food. Um, and we have dessert. Thank goodness Miss Gloria came. I mean, we had food. It's not dessert until there's ice cream involved <laughs> or or brownies or something of that sort. So we have all kinds of good stuff here. There's a lot of laughter and people catching up, and it's just fun. It's just a fun time. So people ask me all the time about what happens after the broadcast, what happens after you go dark. Well, what we have is a very vibrant question and answer time where you can ask virtually, and we have some amazing questions. Last week, I think the Q&A was longer than the than the talk. Uh, then we have an awesome time of music, uh, which is great. And if we talk Mr. Steve into playing a little bit of bluegrass on his fiddle, it goes from violin to fiddle, depending on how he feels. And uh, if we can talk him into it, uh, then we get, some, we get some hymns, and then we get some good fiddle music, some good bluegrass. And that's what we do. And then we have a time of prayer, and it's awesome. This is... Uh, this is a unique gathering of people you just can't beat. So tomorrow's show, uh, I, I think I forgot last week to say what tomorrow's show was on. So tomorrow's show, uh, the recent GOP debates and what I do as president, the ninja president. So it's exactly what I would do. This would be, uh, you're going to kind of hear it laid out for you. No holds barred. And I am going to talk about the debates, uh, my take on it, and um, I think you'll find pretty raw it's a pretty raw take on it i think um there was there was a lot of there were a lot of things revealed at the debates 
and not not a whole lot that I think we needed to learn. So I think there's there's a, on both sides there's some things revealed. I think most of us probably knew, uh, but were amplified uh, tenfold. Didn't seem to impact Trump's numbers. Uh, aren't his numbers I'm hearing? His numbers are still very very high. Uh, but I loved. I have to say this is not in the in the message tonight. But uh, I loved Ted Cruz's answer on faith. I thought that was tremendous. Uh, it was a gotcha question, kind of making fun of him and his faith. And if you're a Christian or a Jew, you ought to be uh, displeased with that question. Because in this country, we're not supposed to make fun of each other for our faith. Because if Ted Cruz were a Muslim, that question would have been off base. And that's my issue with that. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson, he has my book, by the way, Excellence Kill the Church, Help Mediocrity Destroying America. Dr. Carson could not have answered that question. His gotcha question on race, anybody was powerful. Um, both of those men, I think, could hold a uh, could hold a, a, a clinic on how to deal elegantly but truthfully in the public. And then Carly Fiorina, folks, in pre the uh, the what they're calling the JV. Oh my goodness, she's by no means JV. So not anymore. Her numbers are climbing, and she gets a lot of good press and. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on, but I am also going to kind of lay it out, and uh, I'll tell you the truth, I have so much material for tomorrow, I don't think it's all going to be done in one day. So, you can look forward to more episodes. So, <clears throat> we're doing James. Let me read this uh, verse. The religious observance that God the Father, this, not these things, but this, this one thing. He's pointing to, Yaakov is pointing to, which is James, the brother of Jesus, the Hebrew name is Yaakov, um, and he's saying this, the religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, this one thing, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. Now he says... This is the mandate for us, um, <clears throat> and I talked about it in the uh, in in the. I said, Dave, what I say but also as I do in the book of James, we look forward by looking in the rearview mirror. Sometimes the clearest view of our today and tomorrow comes from looking back. God is clear; we are fuzzy. In the high impact message, the ninja pastor—that would be me—weeds through the confusion and noise of today's political correctness to deliver what scripture actually tells us the old math here you go here's an old math 613 to 11 to 6 to 3 to 2 1 it's not a puzzle folks it's a plan so we've got two parts here to care for orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world that doesn't say much positive about the world. Who is the world? What is the world? And why is it that we're don't we live here? How do we how do we live here? In the, it's hard. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. I've had people this week uh, tell me the challenges that they're facing in, in this world. It's it's a tough place if you are a Christian. Or a Jew, a Messianic Jew, we have 
the same mandates upon us. We go about it a little bit differently, but the reality of it is, is you know, to live our faith truly, it's tough. It's a tough time to do that. You have to, in order to live a gleeful life, you almost have to put on blinders. You have to succumb to the kind of sub, and, and this, you know, people say, uh, you know, is it really going on like this, uh, or are you using hyperbole? I have to say, there is a strong push, a really deep-seated effort to propagandize the American Christian into being quiet against the American Christian and practicing. And I'm not just saying that to, you know, create hoopla. It's it's a fact. And one of the strongest tools that they have to do in the media, television, print media, radio. And then they also have this, this thing we call political correctness. It's a tool of the left that unfortunately we've bought into and it's contaminating scripture even today. And that's a major problem for those who are believers. now as believers. Before we were said to be outcast a little bit. And then the tide turned and we were told, look, you're not going to be successful in the church, and I talk about this in Excellence Killed the Church, uh, you're not going to be successful unless you have a an auditorium, not a sanctuary. You're not going to be successful unless you have a talk. You're not going to be successful if you call yourself a preacher rather than a teacher or the guy who gives the talk. The talk. Now, I'm not against any of those things as long as they don't they're not tools to muddy some waters. Because we're also told, and many seminaries across the country have more classes on how to set up your auditorium, your gathering place, what colors to use, where to put the speakers, how to light it, what kind of chairs you need, where to locate it, and what type of building, all of these things, than there are on Old Testament Hebrew way very much way. so uh sad part of it is is that unfortunately the church the larger church kind of fell into in love with that idea of hey you know what if we just this way we'll bring more people and isn't that what it's really about because if we can bring more people here what's going to happen they'll all get saved or at least they'll hear the word or they'll think they're saved. Very good point, Jerry. They'll think they're saved. They'll hear it. All of them will get saved or think they're saved. They'll hear it. We'll at least expose them. And all you really have to do is expose them to the Word. On the flip side of that, too, churches have always been far more effective at being generous and and meeting the needs of people in need than any government organization. So what happened? We we got under uh, the uh, Bush 43, we got the faith-based coalition, 
we had a guy put in charge of that, and that was so that we could work effectively together with the churches where the where the the government was ineffective. We could bring the church in, and and they could have impact. But what ended up ended up happening? The government, the it, as we say in Center for Self Governance, the it took over, and now pushing the church out of the church. That's really what's happening in America today. All across America today, because pastors are so afraid to lose their 501c3, and parishioners or congregants are so afraid to not get that little bitty money back, they're, they're opening themselves wide to the government to examine everything they do, including what they say. Well, this was a different time. But he knew, Yaakov knew, he knew, James the brother of Jesus, he knew as the leader of the Messianic church, the, the, the Messianic synagogue, in, and yes, that did exist, at this time, he knew this was coming. Isn't it interesting how our founders knew what challenges we would face? They knew what challenges we would face, and they wrote into our founding documents, do this, don't do this. And oh, by the way, your rights don't come from us. They don't come from man. They don't come from anything but God. Yalkov seemed to know the same thing here because he said to care for the only thing that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. Is that not a difficult thing? What portals do you have? Uh, I, I was just getting ready to say in your home where contamination comes in, but you know what? have the internet. We can go in a matter of, this took me on the internet right now. I'm on the internet right now. That How long did that take me? Three seconds? Two seconds? You have a portal right there. You carry it with you. Uh, now there's marketing designed to analyze what you do, not only on your home computer, but on your phone. Certain things, you start getting ads for certain things. You start getting emails for certain things. Even in social media, especially in social media, you click on something, oh, that's interesting, and that's something. Then all of a sudden, when you go back to your, your page, there's more things about that thing that you were just looking at. To some degree, I have to say, I think the, the Amish have it right. There's a lot of English, you know, that's what the Amish call us, is the English. There a lot of the English, uh, they say, uh, you know, you English are mad at us because the English say, well, it's not fair, it's just simply not fair that you... The, the the theory is they don't pay taxes, which is not true. It's, it's not true. They do pay a form of tax. Um, they're not getting off scot free. But but the problem is this: How do we? Let me let me just pose this question to you. Uh, we live near Amish country. We call it Amish country, but really this is not Amish country. Lancaster isn't as much Amish country as it is 
tourist country. I mean, it's really been the the English around the Amish have really taken advantage of them. Uh, but if you go to Holmes County, Ohio, Maine County, Ohio, Ashland County, Ohio, it's the largest population of old order Amish in the world. And I used to have a financial planning practice there in Ashland, uh, Ohio, and I was right on the corner, just about a corner of where they would come in from their farms. And they would have uh, little slits in their buggies to see out of. And, of course, the, the law forced them, because so many were killed in the winter and at nighttime, uh, because they didn't have enough illumination. They said, look, you're going to have to do this. We're, we're going to have to light your buggies up. This is the only way we can think of to help you. And they really fought it. So the only illumination you'll see is what the bare minimum they'd have to do. And the smaller the slits and the and the bigger the outfits, the more covering the outfits were, the quieter they were, the more old order they were. And they used to get picked on all the time. We're called the English in the Amish community. So the English would pick on them. They would get beat up because they knew they were pacifists. They would get beat up. They would have things stolen from them. All of these things. They would do all these things. All because they said, we want to keep ourselves from being contaminated by the world. You know, it's so hard. Thank you for saying that. It's so hard. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's an easy thing. It's not. It's You know, I remember reading, uh, I think this was in the Daily Bread maybe, years ago, that so-and-so was so heavenly-minded he was no earthly good. How many people know somebody like that? They just don't seem like they function here on earth very well. Sometimes we're so earthly-minded we have no vision of heaven available to us because the noise of the world is polluting us. It's contaminating us. Our, our comprehension of God and what God can do is polluted by our mental image that in which we are recreating God in our image. We are creating a limitation of man and foisting it upon God. And it's sad. It's truly, truly sad. You know, this verse apparently was based on Isaiah 1, 15 through 16. I'm actually going to give you an extra for free, no cost or obligation to you. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn and do Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Let me go back a second. In verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Whose job is it? We say, God, you've got to fix me, you've got to wash me clean. Guess what? Newsflash, he already did. He provided that that clean, washed soul 
in the blood that spilled at the foot of that cross and the empty borrowed tomb of his son. He did all for us that we need have. It's our time. Most of the time, God works in this world through our hands and feet. But he starts through our heart. He starts through our soul. And the openness of our soul and our heart is predicated upon our willingness to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, so that the things of earth can grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's an old hymn, but it tells the story. Folks, we have to turn our eyes upon Jesus. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. We say, why isn't God healing me from this hurt, habit, or hang-up? Why isn't God helping me from this hurt, habit, or hang-up? Why am I still struggling with this thing? Why am I Why am I still in pain, going back to this fear? Why do I still have this hurt, this habit, or hang-up? Why do I have this? He goes on to say, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Listen, there are many times, I think we get jacked up in this world. We really get twisted up on what is what is our sin and what isn't it. We think our sin is something different than it is. Doing evil. All of us at some point or another have a thought that crosses our mind. But do we bathe that thought? Do we nourish that thought? And do we act on that thought? He says here, cease from doing evil. Cease to do evil. Learn and do good. Sometimes we have to know what's good. I know that sounds crazy in today's society, but in today's society, there's so much blasting at us. There's so much blasting at us that, no, this is good, this is fine, this is good, this is fine, this is good, this is fine, this is good, this is fine. Ooh, don't do that. What example do we have? Look, I'm standing up for the Confederate flag, but my goodness. We have the American flag in several cities across America being taken down and the rainbow flag being put up, not alongside of it, just below it, as protocol demands, but in place of it. This is good. Do this. Learn and do good. Sometimes we have to learn. We have to learn the ways of God. Listen, I've been in school for 11 years. I'm still in school. I don't know all the answers. I bet I don't know 10%, truthfully. Yeah, I want my money back. But we've got to do good. We've got to learn, and then we've got to do good. We've got to seek justice. He uses the word seek justice. Not create justice. He says, seek justice. Because you know what? In this world, I'll tell you, this administration right now, justice, it's its a foreign word to them. Justice is absolutely a foreign word. The world feeds on so many things. Uh, there was just a, a study released that, that talked about uh, 
the number of black men killed by police officers so far this year, and it's 24. But there's no mention of how many police officers, whatever color, have been severely injured or murdered by animals of whatever color. So the good guys in blue get no mention. Why? Because this administration has said, we will set the racial standard, and you're not meeting it. And we say what's okay to say, political correctness, and you're not meeting it. And folks, that has worked its way into churches all across America. Churches are afraid to say the truth. They're afraid to learn and do good. They're afraid to seek justice. And they're afraid the very next part to correct oppression. How do you correct oppression? You stand in the face of it and you say, no, we won't tolerate it. But you know what? That's not always going to be easy. Very often going to cause you pain. It's very often going to cause you loss. It's very often going to cause you persecution. I'll give you an analogy. It's just like when you see uh, a man picking on a woman or hitting a woman. You don't know the man or woman. You just drive up and you say, "Oh no, I can't stand for this. This isn't this. I won't stand for it." And you stop and you get out of your vehicle and try to intervene, and you end up getting killed. Happens every day in America. You end up getting killed. Because you were trying to help this helpless person, this person you saw as helpless. Sometimes there's a cost for correcting oppression. Bring justice to fatherless. Listen, your father advocates for you. This is very Hebrew in its idiomatic presentation. Your father is the one who fights for you when you can't fight for yourself. But listen, if you don't have a father... Who do you have to think? Plead the widow's cause. You see, in Hebrew culture, if the man of the family died, that was major. That's why the families had to come together. The brother of the man had to step in and help. That's why, because they took it very, very But in good deeds, flowing from a sound spiritual condition. In reducing the Torah to two commandments, the one in joining a practical expression of self-giving love toward those who can offer little or nothing in return. The other concern the inward spiritual and outward ethical purity, prerequisite to right action. In this passage, Yaakov, according to the commentary, entered a time-honored Jewish tradition of epitomizing the Torah, as is seen from the well-known Talmud passage, Kutzni 3, to 24a. And that was quoted in Galatians 5.14. We'll get to that in a second. I want to go back to this. And I want this. Reducing the Torah to two commandments, the one enjoining a practical expression of self-giving love toward those who can offer little or nothing in return. In today's society, what have we done? We have said, what can you give me in return? What if the person has nothing for you to give? 
sacrificial giving to the recipient. Have you ever known somebody that is so poor that you give them money, ten, dollars so poor? Look, they're not drug addicts. They're not. They're not. Uh, you know, they they just a series of events happened in their life, and they it got spooled out of control. Maybe their spouse died. Maybe you know. Uh, you know, they were physically abused, whatever the case may be, and they have nothing. And you give them 10 or $20, and the only thing they can offer you is tears. Tears. Have you ever known anybody at that point of their life that that's all they have to give you? Is a look of appreciation and tears. I remember one time I gave $20 to uh, someone, and it was a woman, although I didn't know that it was a woman at first because her hair was so chopped. She just didn't look like a woman. She was in multiple layers of clothing. And what I've since learned is that the homeless, most often, they wear all of their clothes at one time. If they don't have a safe place to store their clothes, And that's what this lady was doing. She was wearing all of her clothes, and she was in such poor health that she had to have clothes on. It was relatively warm out. She had to have those clothes on to stay warm. She was just a shell of a human being. And I gave her, I think it was $20, because she didn't have a sign up. She wasn't asking for money. But you tell, wow, this is how far you can fall. This is how bad it can be. And I remember when I gave her the money, I expected... Not that I expected, thank you, something. She just looked up at me, and tears were streaming down her face. She didn't smile at all. And I thought to myself, wow, you could at least offer a smile. You could at least offer a thank you. And then as I was walking away, I said to her, God bless you. And I turned to walk away, and in my peripheral vision, I saw why she didn't smile. Because she had no of her smile. Sometimes you don't even have teeth with which to smile. That person who offered little or nothing in return. Galatians 5.14. In the ESV, I'm going to give you both uh, translations, the, the English Standard Version and the Complete Jewish Bible. I like them both. The Complete Jewish Bible is what I use more than anything. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love, bite, and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The commentary on the ESV, the study notes say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This quote comes from Leviticus 19.18. Now, folks, Galatians is in the New Testament, the Brit Leviticus is in the Old Testament. People tell me all the time, why do you quote from the Old Testament so much? Because it's relevant, we wouldn't have the New Testament, the Brit HaDashah, were it not for the Old Testament. It comes from Leviticus 19.18, part of the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself was part of the law for Jews. By referencing this portion of Scripture, Paul presents himself as more faithful in upholding the law than the agitators. Paul uses this quote as a springboard to present a series of exhortations that promote a healthy 
godly church community in Galatia. Now let's look at the difference in the complete Jewish Bible. And I think it's speaking to me. For the whole of Torah is summed up in this one sentence, love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. But in tearing each other to pieces, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's powerful, folks. Shimlai says this, 613 commandments were given to Moses, 365 negative mitzvot, same as the number of days in the year, and 248 positive mitzvot, same as the number of parts in his body. Then he reduced them to 11 in Psalm 15. Isaiah reduced them to 6 in Isaiah 33:15. Micah reduced them to 3 in Micah 6, 8, and Isaiah again to 2. Observe justice and do righteousness. Isaiah 56, 1. Then Amos came along, reduced them to 1. Seek me and live. And Amos 5, 4, as did Habakkuk. The righteous one will live by his trusting. Habakkuk. <clears throat> These verses, like the book of Galatians, they're warning to believers who become enamored of a specific observance, of specific observances, at the expense of the weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and trust. That's talked about in Matthew 3.23. Let me say this. In my, I'm a huge fan of doing things with excellence, best I can. Best I can. Give it all I got. I don't want to do good work. I want to do great work. I don't want to do good things. I want to do great things. I'm a big fan of, of always trying to improve, and no matter what I do. But if that is at the expense of the weightier, weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and trust, then I've wasted my time. So here's a verse starting in the, the next chapter. My brothers, practice the faith of our Lord Yeshua, glorious Messiah, without showing favoritism. Do you have favorites? You to develop favorites. Listen, this it's easy in this world to develop favorites. It's easy in this world to say, I prefer this person over that person. But th- that's normal in our normal life. You know, outside doing our stuff, if we have a butcher that we like better than the other, we, we go up to the whatever the grocery is and say, you know, I'd like to cut a beef. It's so-and-so here. Well, he's off today. Okay, I'll come back tomorrow. Well, I'm a butcher. I can do it. That's nah, all right. Is there anything wrong with that? No. You have preferences. You have things that you like. But when it comes to the Messianic community within the church, where a problem here and now in these times and a problem here and now in our times. Comes into your synagogue. Remember, it's a Messianic community. They worshipped at synagogue and houses similar to this. Kehalah. Suppose a man comes into your synagogue wearing gold rings and fancy clothes and also a poor man comes in dressed in rags. Let me go back a second. Let me address something. Suppose a man comes into your synagogue in Hebrew community you had your synagogue. You had your church. You went to the same place. You worked out the problems. You didn't say, hey, you know, this church, eh, 
There are reasons. I'll tell you this. There are reasons to leave a church. There are absolutely reasons to leave a church. Very valid reasons. But most often in this society, what happens is people get mad at a person. A person offends them a little bit, steps on their toes. Maybe they're brash. Maybe they're whatever, whatever the case may be. Maybe we just have a sensitivity to certain people. And we said, well, I don't have to be around that anymore. I'm, I'm out. I'm gone. So it's your synagogue. It's where you go. It's where your family goes. And so they come into your synagogue wearing gold rings and fancy clothes, and also a poor man comes in dressed in rags. If you show more respect to the man wearing the fancy clothes and say to him, have this good seat here, while to the poor man you say, you stand over there or sit down on the floor by my feet, what was the dirtiest place in any building was the floor. The dirtiest thing on a Hebrew was the feet. But it's interesting how this verse starts. If you show more respect, each individually, not the church, not the synagogue, not the kehalah, you individually, each of us determine how we are going to treat another human being. But isn't it something how if one person in one church treats a human being poorly, the impact that has? Then aren't you creating distinctions among yourselves? And haven't you made yourselves the judges with evil motives? Haven't you made yourselves into judges with evil motives? In this case, yourself and this member I said before, it's the evil that you do. In this case, when you're judging others, you made yourselves into judges with evil motives. Whether you act on them or not, your motive comes into play here. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers, hasn't God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to receive the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you despise the poor. Are the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't the, they the ones who insult the good name of him to whom you belong? Let me address something. You wouldn't have said, aren't they the ones who insult the good name of him to whom you belong if there wasn't an expectation of you, the church, to stand up when there's a cross with our Savior put on it and dumped into a, a container of urine and your tax dollars paid for it. When a cross in a public venue is now set to be torn down. There's, this is going on all across the country. In a public venue that's been there for decades. And we say nothing. When our God is ridiculed at a debate, this is, this is my biggest issue. My biggest issue with the last debate is that Ted Cruz has been very plain and very out about his faith. He announced his candidacy. My son was there in person at Liberty University. He chose Liberty University to say to America and to the world, I, Ted Cruz, for the next president of the United States of America. And then he commenced to give his testimony. He commenced to very plainly and very clearly say, this is what I stand for, and I'll be ridiculed. I have been, and I will be ridiculed. And here was another case television personality said well have you heard from god what is it she said have you heard from god have you heard any you know some pejorative way 
of putting her statement to make fun of him. And he turned that on her, and he gave the world a testimony. Since they've been televised debates, it's the biggest audience ever in the history of televised debates. Well, don't you know that because that number is so high, you're going to have a massive number of people who ridicule this man. And many of them are Christians. Whether you plan on voting for Ted Cruz or you have somebody else you like better, let me say this. As to stand for faith, you can't do any better than Ted Cruz. We cannot be ambivalent, folks, when people insult our Savior. We cannot be quiet, folks, when people ridicule our Lord. We can't. I'm a fighter. I mean, I just by nature, I'm a lover, but I'm also a fighter. I would rather love than fight, but when it comes time to fight, and let, hey, we're going to throw down, we're going to throw down. They didn't call me Ninja Pastor for nothing. Only when the cause is right. And let me tell you something. You put Jesus, my Yeshua, put the Redeemer of the world in a bucket of urine. Whether it's an ion or otherwise. Well, I have a problem with that. And the greater problem I have is that that was subsidized by the National Endowment of Arts. You'll hear on my show tomorrow, I'm going to tell you a little something about the National Endowment of Arts. Remember that for tomorrow's show. They the ones who insult the good name of him to whom you belong. Folks, maybe the reason we don't fight for the good name of Adonai Elohim in Yeshua HaMashiach is maybe we don't truly belong to him. If you truly attain the goal of attaining Torah in conformity with the passage that says, Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, your actions constitute sin, since you are convicted under the Torah as transgressors. Now let me talk about favoritism for just a second here, just so we're clear. I'm obviously my mother's favorite. I'm the youngest of five. Why wouldn't I be? No, I'm just teasing. I'm clearly not the favorite. I say that because you know no family listens to this broadcast. But in, in reality, you ever know uh, parents? You ever you ever have family members that it's clear they have a they have a favorite. They have a favorite. Sometimes now there's a difference between having a favorite and having one that's just easier to be around, easier to be to do things with and for. There is a difference between that. Some just make it difficult. Make it difficult. And some make it easy. That doesn't mean they're your favorite. You ever hear the, the what is it, squeaky wheel gets the oil? A lot of times that's the case. And, and families can't understand. They say, well, why do, you, why do you love this one so much more when they cause you nothing but heartache? It's not that I don't love them. I don't love them more. They just need more. They require more. You don't need anything. You go along on your own. Your wheels are already good. You do the right thing. You don't cause me problems. It's not that I love you any less. But there are cases where favoritism, favoritism, favoring one over the other, that constitutes 
sin. Since you were convicted under the Torah as transgressors, in verse 10, somebody, yet stumbles at one point, has become guilty of breaking them all. This is the hard part. For the one who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the Torah. Let me say this. Murder and killing, two different things. Murder and killing are two different things. I have, I have Christians, especially Lutherans, that will come up to me and say, we are anti-war because it's in violation of God's commandments. Thou not kill. And I tell them, let's go back to the original Hebrew and let's let's discern what that means. It means with malice of thought, with no justness. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Kill means when you have to enact deadly force for good or righteousness. Murder means to act with malice forethought in wrong and an evil motive. There's a big difference between the two. But let's let's not take those two really big ones. Let's take I don't know. Um I don't know. Let's take uh obesity. Look at me. Look at me. I had to pick that one, right? You know, let's take obesity and then let's pick uh obsessiveness. Or maybe how about let's do this. Let's take the low hanging fruit. Homosexuality. One worse than the other? God did say it's an abomination, but you know what? He also said this is his temple is the temple. Now, I can't look at my twenty or thirty pounds I'm overweight and look at another person and go, Well, you're this and you're that. Well that's way worse. We can't we can't do that. We can't say we, we'll, we'll use adultery and murder since they used it. If you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the Torah. Keep speaking and acting like people who will be judged by a Torah to give freedom. For judgment will be without mercy toward one who doesn't show mercy, but mercy wins over judgment. Folks, there's that story in the Bible of the, of the, the, uh, the fellow who showed no mercy. He was shown mercy, but he showed mercy. And he was judged harshly, as he should be. For judgment will be without mercy toward one who doesn't mercy. Mercy wins out over judgment. How many times have you been merciful when you could have been judgmental? Now, sometimes, folks, we have to, when you have, a, when you have an employee or you, you work at a place and you're the boss and the employee's doing the wrong thing, you know what? Sometimes employees have to be go. And they create that destiny because you know what? As Christians, we're supposed to be the best employee there. We're there they should want to the whole because Christians are supposed to be the best. We're supposed to work harder. We're supposed to work smarter. We're supposed to be loyal and trustworthy and just and merciful. In verse fourteen, what good is it, my brothers? Someone claims to have faith, but has no actions to prove it. You can talk a good game to me about it. We believe in God. When we plead into the air and we claim we believe solidly enough to actually believe God is listening, when inside our own hearts, if we're being honest, 
We don't really believe God is listening or even cares about us. Our worries, our struggles, our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. I have to ask you, is such faith sufficient to actually save us? According to the Ninja Master, I quote him often, hesitant faith is no faith at all. You can pretend faith. You say, well, Dr. Sean, that's not fair. Everybody goes through struggles in their faith. Absolutely, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. But if you don't really believe God is listening, then you don't really believe the Scripture from whom, from which we learned of God. And if you don't believe the Scripture, large S, about God, you don't believe in God. You say, well, I've just been let down so many times. Newsflash. God never let you down. We just had a discussion about what's going on in this country. It's devastating. Folks, listen, I'm telling you, uh, this Congress, a, 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 a uh, air quotes, conservative Congress, has been an absolute letdown. They are feckless, they are weak, and they are worrisome. There are some, for president, who've stood against the tide, who weren't in Washington to make friends, trying desperately to right the ship before the ship is lost. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you this right now, with, with eight minutes to go in the broadcast, I will tell you this right now. My family is cringing. They're afraid of what I'm going to say. If we lose this election, it's over. America as we know it and hope for is over. It will be lost. The ship will be lost. We will, we're taking on water now, but we will capsize and go to the bottom. That is not to say that if the, if the conservatives win, that that's, a, that's the fix. President Reagan righted this country. President Carter made a mockery of our land. And President Reagan worked to fix that. Did he do everything right? No. Because he's human. I'm not saying that... uh, One of the topics that's coming up uh, for me to talk about in 2016, the 2016, this is on our Monday show, the 2000. 16 election does it mean anything and then the 2016 election it doesn't mean anything at all it depends on what we do with that we as a people a self-governed people mutually pledged to keep the public do we fight do we get in the faces of those that we've elected as professional governors over us and we say, no, we're not standing for that as a people, as a church. We're not standing for that. As people of God, we're not standing for that. If we do that, there's a chance. If we don't, you see what happens. We have a majority in Congress. We've got nothing done. We've had no success. Opponents of New Testament faith claim, this is in the commentary, that it offers cheap grace, antinomian antinomian salvation by merely affirming in one's mind certain facts or ideas about Yeshua or through merely feeling good in one's heart toward God without doing good deeds. I want to I put this to you delicately but as truthfully as raw as I can. If God has called you something, if he's gifted you, if, if your calling includes music, 
or teaching or marketing or medicine or painting or singing, which is music. Whatever the whatever your thing is, if God is gifted with that, and that you're not entrusting Him for the inspiration to enact that as your calling of life, your life, your calling. If you're not giving it a hundred percent, I've got a news flash for you. Number one, it won't be blessed. The efforts that you give won't be blessed. Number two, you'll have no peace. You'll have no peace. You'll try to find out what the secret sauce is. How do I do this? If I could market myself differently, if I could do medicine differently, if I could do uh, you know welding differently, if I could do serving in the military differently, if I could do being a homemaker differently, if I could do all these things, what's the secret sauce? If I could work on cars differently, if I could market my business differently, I would be more successful. No. The first thing is, are you honoring God? If you're a speaker, are you saying what God tells you to say? If you're a painter, are you painting what God tells you to paint? If you're a marketer, are you marketing the way God tells you to market? If you're a welder, are you welding the way God tells you to weld? Everything we do, every job out there I can see, everything, being a homemaker, cleaning for other people, administrating businesses and payrolls, caring for people. Do we do it how God tells us to do it? Or happy jaws? I have a saying, don't betray your redemption. Don't waste your redemption. God has redeemed us all. Thank God. Thank Almighty God that He has redeemed us. That our grace is not cheap. That it costs the Savior His blood, His flesh, and His bone. And He did it for us. Why would we live a hesitant faith in that regard? Why would we do that? But have you ever known somebody that talks faith, but as soon as they're challenged, they crumble like a house of cards. Talk is cheap. What do you do? Chris Cahalan was on my show last Monday, and I can't tell you the comments that I got. They were amazing. People said, I've never heard anything like that in my whole life. This, this family has undergone such challenge. How in the world does this guy have that kind of faith? Uh, a quote, um, it, it, I'm trying to remember who it is. It's one of my favorite speakers. Jim Rohn, actions bring about motivation, not the other way around. If I could just get motivated, if I could just get inspired, I would do something. I'd do something great. No, start doing something, and you'll find your inspiration. You'll find your motivation. You know, faith is a unique thing. People, it's a struggle, folks. It's, um, I, I hear people tell me what they believe. They believe in God. They believe a certain way. But there's never any evidence to indicate. And I don't mean evidence. They look, what do they wear, their haircut. Is it a, is it a certain way? I'm, I'm saying to you, deeper than that. Deeper than that. 
What do you do that shows that you're a child of God? What do you do that demonstrates your faith in God? No matter what happens, your faith is seen. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a blessing to have you. Join us tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you're going to have your socks rocked off. Thank you for joining us. Send us notes to let us know you were listening. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the ninja pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.